Today on Maine Calling, the impact that the pandemic has had on our psyche. Are you essentially the same person you were three years ago? The pandemic altered people's daily lives all around the world. It has been a time of great uncertainty about our health and our future, of disconnection and widespread erosion of trust in authorities and in each other. What does that do to the way we behave, relate to others, think of ourselves, and feel about life? I'm Cindy Hahn. The restrictions, uncertainty, and fear that COVID-19 brought to our lives have inevitably changed who we are as individuals and as a society. Today we'll explore whether something as all-encompassing as a global pandemic can affect who we are, even our personalities, and whether those changes are here to stay. Main Calling is just ahead. Main Calling On Demand is made possible by listeners and by Maine Seacoast Mission, strengthening Maine's coastal and island communities through education, health, and support. Learn more at seacoastmission.org. And by Welch and Forbes, working with clients to manage the full range of events that come with building wealth, from investments to trustee services. More welchforbes.com. This is Maine Calling. I'm Cindy Hahn. From lockdowns and social distancing to the fear of the unknown, the pandemic has affected all of us. But in what ways? Today we evaluate the impact of three years of dramatic change to the way we go about our lives. Do you feel like you've become a different person? How has it altered your outlook or even your personality? Joining me are Amy Wood, psychologist, executive coach, and author, and Tom Muser, clinical psychologist, applied gerontologist, and founding director of the Center for Excellence in Aging and Health at the University of New England. We invite you to join the conversation. Has the pandemic changed you, for better or for worse? Send an email to talk at mainpublic.org, post a comment on social media, or give us a call, 1-800-399-3566. And Amy Wood, I'm going to have you kick us off with the big picture question. Would you say sure. that, that three years of living with a pandemic has had some sort of psychological or emotional impact on just about everybody? Yeah, I would say so. Um, and when you mentioned big picture, I think that's a great place to start. So I think we, we need to begin by looking at the concept of personality. You know, we all start with a personality when we're born and our personality can change over time. And, you know, research has shown that the pandemic has indeed changed our personalities in, in a lot of ways we can talk about today, um, particularly among younger adults and younger people. Um, now that's normal, you know, for a major stressful life event to change a personality. The question is, um, is it lasting? We don't know yet because the research on this is too recent. But, you know, when we study personality and we study the impact of stress on personality, it's usually unexpected, really big things happening that can cause a change in our style of living, which is essentially what personality is. And if we think about all the changes we've gone through with the pandemic, uh, you know, change major changes in school, how we socialize, how we work, 
um, major changes in our healthcare system, our job market, our housing market, entire industries. Um, think about all of the things going on during the pandemic, you know, like severe racial tension, um, political upheaval, uh, strained trust um, in overarching systems um, that we depend on from healthcare to government. There's been enormous change. And of course, that's impacted us. And we can look at the research and see major trends, which are generalizations and how people have changed in terms of personality. Um, and we can look individually. Um, and there's always exceptions to trends. So, you know, whether someone changed or not from the pandemic depends on a variety of things uh, that have to do with their own individual circumstances, which we can get into. Yeah, lots to get into. And Tom, if you could pick up on that, what Amy was talking about is there are certain dominant feelings that people have felt during this, these three years of the pandemic. Um, so she mentioned trust, you know, issues with trust, fear, um, uncertainty. What talk about what you think are the are the big ones that um, really impact how people are or how they think? Yeah, sure. I mean, this has been a, an incredible period of upheaval and change and uncertainty. And it's understandable that we as individuals, but also we as part of groups, whether they be family groups, work groups, social groups, that we have impacts as a result. Um, I think for some people, um, the number of deaths and the uncertainty with respect to personal illness and am I going to get sick has led to something of an existential crisis. I think there's probably, for many people, some death anxiety, worry that is in the background, and perhaps not always conscious, but I think it probably is there and influences how they think and feel. I think control issues are another that, that and it relates to what I just shared, that um, since COVID, particularly early, was something that we could not treat it was sort of silent. We couldn't see or hear or taste it. It was something that always was lurking. And I think it it probably led some people, I certainly know some, who felt that they were out of control. And, and that has its own anxiety and helplessness that comes along with it. Um, Amy mentioned uh, trust. And I think I think trust is a is a big one in this. When we think about trust in institutions, um, you know, I'm actually a, uh, I believe in Dr. Anthony Fauci and and his scientific-based approach. Um, but he was also derided by some who really lost trust in that traditional face of healthcare. Um, but also there were changes of trust even within, own, within family units that, uh, particularly where there were differences of opinion or belief about COVID, its reality and its impacts. And so I, I think another another emotional experience is, is conflict tension um, that, that was going on for many people that, that and, and this is part of a larger political polarization that we're seeing across the country. So there's the individual, but I think there's the group and the social and, and all sort of play together in this. Yeah. That's hard to tease out the things that were happening in our country during the pandemic. Um, like you said, the racial strife and political polarization, but the social interactions definitely is something that was a signature uh, impact of the pandemic, the lack of, or the, the reduction in social interaction. So Amy, talk about that. Um, that it, it seems kind of obvious, but maybe not so obvious on how 
that might affect people at school, at work, not meeting with friends. Um, for anybody, that's a significant change. And we lost even those casual kind of chances for small talk. So what does that do to us? Does it make people more introverted? Well, first, let me say that regardless of whether you're introverted or extroverted or anywhere in between, you need, all of us need, so I say you collectively, you need social interaction, meaning face-to-face, in-person interaction in order to be healthy because we are social beings. That's how we're built. And so what's happened, I think one of the biggest changes we've experienced as we move into a hybrid world is we have to work harder to get that nourishment that we need to be healthy, that social emotional nourishment that comes from being with people in person. And so we have to take on that responsibility that used to come more easily because it was in the fabric of our everyday lives before the pandemic. So, you know, one thing I have found in my work um, and personally is that the people who change for the better uh, from the pandemic are introverts. Uh, because they finally got to live the way that felt comfortable to them, you know, less social contact, um, no, not so much pressure to get out there and be making things happen, meeting people and all of that. Um, so they feel freer now to enjoy their own solitude and to interact less. That being said, as much as they're enjoying less interaction in the world they all they all know healthy introverts know they have to be out there sometimes you know interacting with others and when i say interacting with others i don't mean just hanging out with your really good friends and family and colleagues close colleagues around the water cooler for example i mean just being out walking down a sidewalk with other people or standing in line with other people or being in a big outdoor event with other people it's integral to our health and happiness it's interesting that you touched upon um, that for introverts, I, and I know people who have said this, it's actually been good for them. They, they've actually <laughs> enjoyed the pandemic. I mean, obviously not people getting sick, but enjoyed some of that seclusion. And we're actually getting um, quite a few notes about the plus side of that. So I want to read some before yes. we get caught up in other things. An email from Mark. I'm an artist, a painter, and I can attest to the pandemic's effect. During the very darkest days when I was secluded in my studio and was able to focus and concentrate on my work without interruption, it led to breakthroughs that transformed my work for the better. A similar thing happened to me in the aftermath of 9-11, but was not as long-lived as the pandemic. Not only has my work improved, but it's now clear to me how to develop further, which is to find the time and space to work without the daily hubbub and interruptions that sidetracks deep creative thought. COVID was a gift to me. And we're yes. seeing other notes as well like that. So we'll get into um, that a little more. But I, I did want to, um, Tom, I wanted to focus for a moment on older people and the impacts mm -hmm. there and how that might differ. Your, your research focuses on older people. Is it possible to generalize that older people have seen and done and experienced so much more that this three years is, you know, a blip and not as much of an impact? Or are they more vulnerable in some ways because of all the rapid change and, you know, it's hard to change? Yeah, I think there are answers on both sides of that. Um, if you think about the average 80-year-old, that person has witnessed tremendous swath of history, some periods in our our national history where that were very tumultuous. And so they've lived through it. They know they can live through it. And 
I, in many of the people I work with, we have a group called our Legacy Scholars Program at UNE, and the scholars complete an annual health and wellness survey, and they also just engage with the age-friendly aspects of UNE and our students. So I talked to a lot of them, and I think for many, there was this early angst and fear about the isolation and what is it going to mean. Part of that, though, I think was driven by the fact that COVID was a, had a bullseye on this population. If you were over 55, certainly if you were over 65 to 70, you were at high risk of death. And so um, what I found, though, is many people said that they found new resilience, so similar to the letter writer that you just read, that they found new strength. Um, they found opportunity to plan and think ahead and maybe to determine priorities. So um, there were some positive outcomes that occurred in my own data, we did see some increases in reported depression and anxiety uh, from before the pandemic into the early pandemic, and that's similar to what others have found. I didn't experience as much, with this group at least, the severe negative impacts of isolation on, on, on personal sense of identity and well-being. Um, I, I think a lot was made up made out about loneliness and isolation as being really critical factors and they are but i think there are other risk factors uh for that and um it's more complicated to tease apart than we can do in a simple conversation sure but i'm glad you did talk about the mental health impacts because that is um uh, that's very important we're we're not focusing on that for this show, but we know that that's actually one of the greatest um, outcomes of this pandemic. Uh, calling in now is Bear Shea. He's the school counselor specialist for the Maine Department of Education. Thanks for calling, Bear. No problem. Good morning. So we were just talking about older people, and you work with adolescents and young people. Um, similar thing. On one hand, the effects of the pandemic hit them maybe the hardest because three years of a shorter lifespan is a big chunk of, of their lives. But on the other hand, young people are, are known to be more resilient and can bounce back. So what do you think has had the biggest impact on teens and younger folks? I think when we talk about resilience, right, and we think about how resilient kids are, we want to look at that research, which there's, you know, 40 years of you know, research, a huge body of research on what actually sustains and bolsters that resilience for kids. And the interesting thing is the pandemic, you know, we think about the pandemic hitting us as individuals and our larger communities. One of the things to think about is how the pandemic really attacks some of the pillars of resilience. Um, so when we think about, you know, positive relationships at school, positive relationships with our peers, you know, the number one indicator of resilience that having a, you know, positive um, consistent, uh, positive regard from an adult. Um, you know, those are the factors that go into um, youth being resilient. And so the pandemic not only affected them individually and their families, but it actually eroded some of those pillars of resilience. And so, you know, we can see that that's going to have uh, different impacts on different youth, depending on what supports they have. Sure. So, of course, it's different from individual to individual. But from, from what you know about uh, teens, for example, they their personality is in the process of evolving and changing. So do you think these kinds of um, significant changes in their lives can shift their nature or their personality? I mean, we know that, you know, significant events and there's an unfortunate amount of research on, um, you know, how humans respond to natural disasters and man-made disasters such as war. Um, so we know that, you know, the brain can respond 
um, and adjust during the, the event um, and, and be impacted by the event. So when the brain's thinking about survival and getting through, it's going to shift how it approaches based on you know, the resources around it. The good thing about this is that the brain is plastic. We know that it constantly has the ability to change at any age, and particularly our youth and kids, you know, they have a much more um, flexible brain. And so that after the event, um, we can see, you know, kids bounce back, you know, much more significantly with the right supports. You know, if we think about, you know, children who have been in refugee camps for, you know, four years, five years, um, and how successful they can be, um, you know, moving forward with, with the right supports from their family and community. Um, and the systems in general. So, I, I'm glad you mentioned. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say that that flexibility is an important thing to remember. That you know the brain is really plastic and can be changed um, in an intentional way. We have the ability to, you know, when we're talking about healing, we're talking about um, you know the psychology of the brain. It's something that can be moved. Well, then I think that answers another question I had for you, but maybe you can elaborate. For little kids, these are kids where three years of a pandemic might be the bulk of their lives. You know, they, they, they maybe were just learning to talk when people were telling them, don't touch people, stay far away from people, you know, be careful all the time. How does that affect the, these youngest children? Yeah, and, you know, we talk about masking with kids and, you know, limiting the social interaction when we know it's so important. And we think about that zero to three as being, you know, such an important attachment phase um, for kids and, and developing brains. I think, you know, again, that we know that there's resilience there. We know that the brain responds uh, with support. I think an important thing to remember is, you know, all kids can do well, even in uh, traumatic situations, even when they don't have those supports. Um, you know, our, our most vulnerable populations were disproportionately affected. So we want to think about, you know, kids who didn't have some supports and resources before the pandemic and what are ways that we're providing extra supports uh, to make sure that they have those things that they need so they can have that resilience and bounce back. Um, and so really it's not a question of if, but with the right resources and, and how are we making sure that um, all families uh, have, have that with a certain amount of equity. Okay, well, thank you so much. That was Bear Shea. He's a social worker and a school counselor specialist with Maine DOE. And we are talking about the impact of the pandemic on who we are. Call 1-800-399-3566. We're going to take a quick break. This is Maine Calling. We'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Maine Calling. I'm Cindy Hahn. Today, we are examining how three years of living with a pandemic has affected our psyche as individuals and as a society. My guests are Tom Muser. He's a clinical psychologist and applied gerontologist with UNE, where he directs the Center for Excellence in Aging and Health. And Amy Wood, she's also a psychologist, an author, and an executive coach. Share your comments and questions. Email talk at mainpublic.org. Comment on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or give us a call, 1-800-399-3566. Tom, I wanted to follow up on something you mentioned earlier about um, the erosion of trust and the sort of conflict um, that's happening in our society almost on top of the pandemic. Um, can you just expand on how that may be impacting people again and either in their personalities, how they relate to one another and, and will that stick? I, I think the pandemic has shaken people with respect, at least some people with respect to 
relationships or institutions that they may have had a certain sense of, of trust in in the past, but going through this experience, and, and this experience has been very uneven. There's been a lot of uncertainty, mixed messages. Um, there's also been a lot of misinformation in terms of social media and online. So people are getting hit from all different angles and yet still trying to sort it out for themselves. And I think that sorting it out for yourself is a process where division can happen. So if you come down on the side that COVID is just like the flu and it's not that serious, you may engage in a set of behaviors in your social or group relationships that um, others might perceive as placing them at risk. And so I think there's a, a new level or new type of health-related or prevention-related conflict that can seep into relationships. I know for some of the older adults that I work with, some were fearful enough about COVID that the risk of being around even long loved ones who had those different attitudes were too much. So for those, it created a sense of separation and isolation. Now that we're coming out of the pandemic, knock on wood, Hopefully there can be a lessening of, of some of that, but I think it's still very real. Okay, let's go to a call now. This is Patty calling from Clifton. Go ahead, Patty. Um, yeah, I, I totally agree with what was just said. Um, in my family, we had uh, breakups of relationships due to the politics of it. We had a death of a family member. Oh. Um, and I grew up believing that people were good and that given the chance, they would take care of each other. And what I was shown was that even if people told you you might kill somebody else, and you, if you didn't wear a mask, that people didn't wear masks. And, I, and so I walk around the world going, who are the people around me, and are they willing to kill me? Oh, Patty, I, I'm politics? sorry to hear about the loss in your family. And so are you saying... Do you feel like you've become a more cynical person than you were? Absolutely. And I'm very sad about it. And I'm sad for my country. But I'm also really angry. And I don't know how to get rid of that. Well, thank you for sharing that, Amy. Yeah, I think this is a really good example of why we can't just count on studies to tell us things like how have people changed from the pandemic because everyone has an individual experience with it and as I said earlier you know probably best case scenario for someone who really weathered the pandemic well you know an introvert who likes to be alone who felt freedom to be themselves um, and then you have people who endured more difficulty during the pandemic which made it all the harder so you know for example people who have really difficult family situations um, where there's conflict and maybe people who are during illness during the pandemic, um, loss, um, financial problems. So it's different for everyone and everyone comes out of it with a different set of realizations, a different set of things to work on. Um, I think the great thing when we talk about personality, you know, we're all, we each, every one of us, if we have our own personality, they're generally, um, unchangeable overall, but we have influence over them. And we can change aspects of ourselves um, that we're not happy with. So if you're coming out of the pandemic feeling really angry, you can work on that. 
you know, you can find ways through, let's say, going to therapy or reading books or talking to your friends about it to work through the anger and get to the other side of it. That's the beauty, um, as Bear, who called in earlier, said, the brain is plastic. And so no matter what you are dealing with as a result of the pandemic, if you want to change it, if you want to have influence and impact, you can have that because the brain, the personality is somewhat pliable. And I've heard it said that once you at least recognize it and see it, and Patty's calling in to describe how yes. she's feeling, that that's, that's half the battle. Tom, go that's ahead. Do you want to add to that? Yeah, you know, I was just really touched by the, the, the tone of sadness in this caller's story. And um, there's a grief element, too. There's a, a sense of, of, of loss of, of, I think, beliefs in relationships and values in relationships that I think will take some time to heal. And I, I certainly hope for her case that these rifts can heal soon. Thank you for calling, Patty, and sharing that. And um, But, uh, Amy, you did, again, bring up the fact that there are those who um, have found there to be some, you know, benefits of all of this. So yes. I'm going to read a note from, e an email from Matthew. Are you seeing people feeling guilty about how the pandemic has actually helped them? I haven't had COVID and know no one who has had a severe case of it. I also now get to work from home almost exclusively, which saves me time and money. So in many ways, the pandemic has been good for me, and that makes me feel somewhat guilty. Thoughts? Well, I would say, as I tell my clients all the time, guilt is probably the most use, uh, useless emotion that you can have. When you're feeling guilty, the thing to do is ask yourself, okay, is there any any reason to feel guilty? Is there anything I can do about this that I, you know, like if you're feeling guilty because you insulted someone, you can apologize. Um, there are certain situations that you can rectify and feel less guilty, but this is not one of them. You know, you don't need to feel guilty if you happen to have a better experience than others dealing with a stressful event. Um, everyone's life is different and some of us go through events and have a positive experience and, and instead of feeling guilty about it know that probably later in life you're going to have an experience that you find challenging that others find easy so um no need to feel guilty remember you know the point of all this that i'm really trying to make is that we're talking about trends which can help us generalize and give us a starting point for discussion but each individual experiences stressful events differently and there's no right or wrong in how you experience anything i can say for myself i commiserate with matthew because when <laughs> all my grown kids were home for a nice long stretch of time together during the pandemic i was like this is great <laughs> but i couldn't i felt like i couldn't say yeah. that you know um let's go now to deborah calling from north berwick go ahead deborah Hi, thank you. This is Deborah Walsh. Um, I am a former vocational rehabilitation counselor and also have a private practice with college um, career and life transition counseling. And from a personal perspective, I found that the sudden remote work had some advantages because there's ways of spending a little more time with a lot less commuting and such. But it also became very isolating to not have peers to bounce ideas off of, to interact with between clients and things like that. Um, and ironically, working in an electronic, fully electronic world, working remotely imposed a great deal of paper and extra reporting overhead. 
that just made the workload that much more difficult. Um, and I did eventually retire last April. Um, and for those reasons that it just became a little bit too much at that point. But in my private practice, I find that in seeing adolescents and and adults, there's been a really big impact. Um, For the adolescents that I'm seeing particularly, I see a lot of anxiety and uncertainty with the remote school schedules and the changing schedules. And some of the students liken it to the first day of school, the beginning of the year, every time they go back. So when they have that social anxiety and they don't feel like they fit in, it's being magnified every time they try to go back to school and feel uncomfortable in their classes and feel like they're not connecting with their peers. And I think that coming and going, that tug of war there is more detrimental than the one time either just work remotely, you know, it's it's difficult enough being disconnected, but that uncertainty of going back, will I be accepted? Sure. My adults, I'm seeing a lot too, um, was a breakdown in communication in the workplace. And it happened in my workplace as well is it when everybody's remote or when people are on hybrid or all different schedules, it's difficult to maintain that equitable communication, that effective communication. So for example, if you had a project management team, which would be a really difficult scenario on communication, it's not insurmountable, but the business really needs to make the effort to be sure that everybody's included in all of the communication, whether that's more emails, whether that's making sure every single meeting has a Zoom component for those who are remote and those who are on site, even if it's an impromptu yeah. meeting. Deborah, I'm, th- I'm so glad you brought up that, that, uh, that element of communication. That's something we wanted to talk about. So let's go to our panelists to comment on that. Tom, this whole increased reliance on technology, um, people using either social media, texting, Zoom, all of that to communicate. How does that affect our psyche? Just that that's how we're talking to each other. So I heard, so my center and my outreach in the community prior to the pandemic was high touch in person. We had to shift to online. And what I heard over and over again from participants in online programming. We, we've run a weekly support group ever since the start of the pandemic, still running. I'm so glad I can come here. It's not my first choice, but it keeps me connected. And I think for some people, it probably is their first choice now because of certain other concerns or fears they may have. Um, but there is something missing, even in this conversation, right now where we see each other on Zoom and we're talking by voice on the radio, um, it's harder to read nonverbals. A lot of folks during the pandemic found masking difficult and didn't even realize they read lips until mm-hmm. they couldn't see the lips. And for so it, it's, um, like it or not, the digital world is gonna only grow. And I think that's one of the outcomes I see of the pandemic but we can't lose the the personal touch. And I actually don't have a great answer. I'd be curious what Amy thought on this. Yeah, Amy, uh, is it, what is that missing thing? I mean, we're able to do all this stuff really nicely. Like, like Tom mentioned, we're talking on Zoom right now. What, what are we missing? Well, technology is great for a lot of reasons. You know, I mean, if you look at the advantages of technology, especially during the pandemic, 
Um, you know, where would we have been without technology? It would have been much worse. Technology helps us connect in a variety of ways, but you know, as I said earlier, there's something about being with other people in person that is irreplaceable and is absolutely essential if you want to be a healthy human being. Um, we don't really know. So in some ways, it's a mystery. But what we do know, those of us who have studied um, this issue of being too dependent on technology, because as great as it is, if you use it too much, um, you, you can become addicted to it. Um, you can become lonely from it. Um, you can become unhealthy from it. Um, what we know is that technology is just part of the picture of communication. And we have to fill it in. Now, one thing that I have learned because I consult in management, I consult with leaders, is that being a leader has changed dramatically. Speaking of change from the pandemic, um, leadership has changed from before the pandemic. In so many ways, it's almost a new thing um, because what people want now is so different. So people want, uh, if you ask people who join a, an organization, what do you want most from your boss? They'll say, I want to be cared about. I want <clears throat> to be connected. I want communication. I want it to be, I want to be listened to. So leaders today have to be better than ever at communicating, at engaging, at being in conversation. And that tells you how much we need that, even despite all that uh, technology can do. We need to keep in mind that, that technology is only beginning. It's going to become a greater and greater force in our lives. It's going to speed up the way we do everything. And so we have to really focus on improving our ability to be high touch, um, to be in person, to communicate genuinely through real conversation. Because if we lose that, we're going to lose a lot. Um, so it's really, uh, I think, a challenge of integrating the two because there are a lot of things wrong with technology if you let it control you and if you rely on it too much, but it can be a fabulous thing if you're managing it well and you honor the need for real communication to complement that. So a good way to look at it in ending this is you know, there's certain things technology does really well, you know, like we can communicate logistics really well over text. Um, we can communicate relatively basic information via email, but when it starts to get emotional, things snowball, things get miscommunicated, conflict gets created. At a certain point, you have to shut down the, the devices and talk human to human. Um, and if we can learn how to use both of those things, um, to complement each other, we can do really, really well with this. But right now, I'd say generally in our culture, we're way too focused on the reliance on technology and need to get back, get the balance back um, by bringing more in-person communication into the mix. Yeah, the way I saw it described um, as far as what technology leaves out when we're communicating that way is a sense of wholeness. And I don't know yes. if that's um, the word or humanity. I don't know what it is, but there's there's still something missing. Uh, tell us whether you feel that you've changed over the course of the pandemic and how it's impacted you. Call 1-800-399-3566. We are taking another quick break. This is Maine Calling. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. I'm Cindy Hahn, and you're listening to Maine Calling. Our topic is what impact the pandemic has had on our psyche, our personalities, our way of relating to others. With me are Tom Muser with UNE's Center for Excellence in Aging and Health, and Amy Wood, executive coach, psychologist, and author. Join our conversation. Tell us whether the pandemic has changed you. Call 1-800-399-3566. Send a brief email to talk at mainpublic.org. Tweet at Maine Calling or post to our Facebook page or to Instagram. And let's go now to David calling from Scarborough. Hi, David, what did you want to talk about? Uh, thank you very much. It's an interesting conversation. I have a fundamental question about what sorts of education and, uh, let's say, media improvements are needed to strengthen people's ability to be logical and to uh, be confident in their own eyes and ears and perception. I have not suffered uh, personally as a retired person with a decent education, I think, um, but I have noticed that quite a number of folks have become easily teased to go to conspiracy theories, have been easily uh, teased to believe things that are not obvious to their own eyes and ears um, in both the discussion of the pandemic and, and other political matters. And I, so the question comes to me again and again, how can we do a better job of fundamental education? I don't know whether it's education in science or logic, or civics, uh, but that will strengthen young people's and, and others' uh, inner core and a sense of judgment and ethics such that they don't lose trust in valid and hardworking institutions. Thanks for that question, David. And it, that gets a little far afield from our initial topic, but yet it's still, I see what you're saying. And, and, and Amy, I'm wondering, in some ways, are people, in terms of sort of the change in people from this pandemic, have it has it made some people become more dug in to or, or more polarized just in, in believing something and sticking with it rather than taking in new information? Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is one of the real dangers of not having face-to-face -face interaction with people, because if you're relying just on let's say, scrolling through Facebook to get your news, um, you know, just looking at screens to find out what's going on in the world, you're not going to get beyond polarized ways of looking at things. And, you know, numerous studies have been done to show that even when people are, you know, totally opposed to each other online, completely different belief systems. If you put the two people together in an actual room face to face and they have a conversation, they can find commonality. And that's the real beauty of getting together with people and hearing other people's perspectives, hearing that we do have commonality, even though we have our differences. So I would say, you know, the best thing that we can be teaching young people today is not to just go to their screens. Um, for information or for a sense of self or for a sense of what's going on in the world, because it's only part of the story. Uh, the bigger story is out there in the real world with other people where you get to know other viewpoints and you have real emotional experiences from which you can develop empathy, meaning understanding where other people are coming from and how they might be feeling um, so that you can get beyond these rigid viewpoints that are black and white that aren't based on reality. 
Tom, could you pick up on that with the idea that the pandemic really has made so many people um, actually actively more actively seek out information, somewhat like what David was talking about, maybe actually want to find out more about any given topic because we're always trying to learn about what's happening in our world. So has that has that been a sort of byproduct of the pandemic? I can speak to that more from an, a, an opinion and observation perspective than any hard data that I'm aware of. Um, but but I, think, I think there are more seekers today, people who are exploring what it means to live in this world and maybe even bigger beliefs, spiritual beliefs. Um, I'm aware of a church that is um, closing as a result, I think, of, of a loss of attendance from uh, the pandemic. And I think people are, are finding new ways to explore and and uh, express themselves. Um, you know, if you limit where you seek information and you do it with a certain unwillingness to, to see other perspectives, you are going to live in that bubble. Um, I think what we do in this conversation in conversations like this is we break the bubble because we are talking civilly with each other and we're considering other opinions. So I fully agree with Amy it's making a point to get together with people and being open to listen that is critical to truth winning in the end. Great. Thank you for your call, David. And let's go now to Donna calling from South China. Hi, Donna. What was it that you wanted to talk about? Hello? Yeah. Can you hear me? I, I, I can hear you. Can you oh. hear me? Yes. Go ahead and, and let us know what you wanted to say. Well, um, I, the person I talked to a few minutes ago, I just said, you know, all those weeks of being locked in our houses, especially in the evening, I had, I, I will admit that I, uh, I started drinking a little bit more than I ever had in my life, and it, it, it made me take a look at it, and I no longer drink. I stopped because of it, and I don't think I would have if it hadn't been for COVID and the lockdown. And I just was driving home from town, and I heard you say, what is some way COVID has changed your life? And for me, that was life-changing. Do you feel like um, that's altered your outlook on life? Well, I don't know if it altered my outlook on life, but it certainly made me take a look at that part of it. And um, just, I, I... found I could just walk away from it and I, mm-hmm. I never really had thought I could family history and all that and uh, it's been it's been like a, a burden lifted off my shoulders that I didn't know I had well thank you for sharing that and I think your um, your experience is not actually that uncommon um, Amy go ahead as far as um, positive changes people may have made or huh. ways that it's sort of you know changed their way of doing things well I think um this is a great example, you know, having time alone because of the pandemic, you know, where we were restricted from doing things we wanted to do. And that gave us an opportunity to really uh, wrestle with our own demons, come to terms with things in our lives. And as a result of that, I think people have come out of the pandemic with a clearer idea of what's important to them. Um, As Tom was saying earlier, you know, people have found better, more relevant, resonant paths to their own spirituality. Um, If you look at 
the great resignation and what we call the great relocation. That's another example where people having been deprived in a lot of ways from the restrictions imposed by the pandemic have come out of it saying, you know, I want more of the life that I deserve, more of the life that is meaningful and purposeful to me. So people are more specific now about what kinds of jobs they want or what where they want to live or what kind of partner they want to be with. And that's a wonderful thing, you know, that people have raised their personal standards and are not putting up with things because they know what it's like now to be deprived and we want to come out of the pandemic and enjoy this hybrid world we're in now, um, looking at it more like a buffet of everything that they can have and take from and and design lives that are more of who they are, that, that speak to them more clearly. And that's a great thing. Sure. And Tom, that, that spiritual aspect, can you talk about that, seeking that out or just finding, um, f- uh, making meaning in life so central to to what you you how you go about making your choices yeah i mean this could be a whole separate conversation (laughs) for a show like this but um i'm going to speak for myself you know i prior i i moved to maine in 2018 and was still trying to find where i fit in terms of a christian church community then the pandemic hit and so i I found myself exploring, and um, I know for me, I've I one of the positive outcomes for the pandemic is a, a a greater sense of spiritual meaning and purpose that I didn't have before. So, I am an introvert. So, um, even though I have a very open public kind of job, I'm introverted. So, I think I also benefited from something Amy talked about before that sort of lessening of the of the social noise. Um, so for me, the introspection of the pandemic was a helpful thing for, for building a, maybe a renewed or new sense of meaning and purpose. So this idea of um, coming through the pandemic with maybe, you know, taking time, being more patient, more introspective, all of that. I've read a, a description of it as um, coming, living your life more maturely and um what does that mean and and how does that you think show up in our society today amy Amy, you want to tackle that sure (laughs) um you know getting back to the idea of, of personality you know we as human beings we tend to mature over age as we age and the studies that have been done on the impact of the pandemic on personality have shown that we've gone backwards a little bit in terms of our maturity. Um, But, you know, I believe that we have an opportunity now to decide for ourselves now that we have our freedom back, you know, we can decide what we want. And I think one great thing about the pandemic is that we realize just how much more flexibility we have. I mean, look at how much we accomplished through the pandemic in terms of solving problems and adapting. We can do that now as we look at, you know, maybe ways that we have um, regressed in our personality. Uh, We can ask, okay, well, I'm in charge of my life. What do I want to do about it now? Um, We have that power. We have that liberty. um, So let's take advantage of it. Uh, You know, in general, we as adults, we as human beings, we mature over a lifetime, meaning that when we look at our personalities, we become 
more resilient. We become more likable. We become better able to handle difficult situations, get along with other people, be, be creative, um, be open-minded, be responsible, um, be disciplined and organized. So there's only opportunity here and it's up to us. Remember the brain is plastic. The personality can be influenced by actions we take. What do we want to do? How do we want to grow? Um, and there's so many ways uh, in person and via technology uh, to do that. Amy, what you just said might help with um, this one email we have. Uh, this is from Paul, and he says, as someone who has lived alone for a number of years pre-COVID, I have always been comfortable and enjoyed the times I've spent doing things that I'm passionate about. However, after the long period of isolation during the pandemic, I find myself feeling lonely and not enthusiastic about doing the things I enjoy. I'm having a challenging time adjusting back to life as it was. So for all of those encouraging things that you just said, um, mm -hmm. it's still very difficult. And Tom, yes. could you, um, we're, we're a little tight on time, but Tom, maybe you could also comment on, on Paul's feelings, very similar to, I think, many, many people out there. It's a new normal for Paul, as it is for many people. Um, the, the thought I, I would like to finish with though is um, for young people, seek out older persons in your life. Talk to them about the times that they've experienced that have been challenging and how their lives have had many twists and turns. There's no one right path. And I agree with Amy, the field of possibility is wide open. I, I'm, I'm exiting the pandemic with a deep sense of hopefulness and um, actually gratefulness for what we do have. And talk to older adults because they've lived it and they can, um, I think, be an example for what may come next. And Amy, um, final note on that point? Yeah, I love what you just said, Tom. And, you know, one thing that all of this research on the impact of the pandemic on how we've changed, um, you know, it says that younger people had a tougher time with it. Younger people seem to regress in their personalities a little more than older people. And one of the reasons for that is the older you get, the more you can look at life and say, you know, I've been through hard times before I can get through it. Whereas younger people, they don't have that life experience. They don't have that scaffolding. And so, yes, absolutely, Tom. Um, I advise people talk to your elders and they can be very reassuring because they've been through many hard times and they know that there's always hope at the end. There's always light at the end of the tunnel. Well, that's a, that is a hopeful note to end on. Thank you so much to both of you for joining us today. Amy Wood is a psychologist and an executive coach, and Tom Muser is a clinical psychologist and applied gerontologist with UNE. Today's sound engineer was KG Akinmuladun. Visit maincalling.org to visit, find our past shows and to subscribe to Maine Calling's weekly newsletter. Tomorrow on the program, our automotive experts are back to talk about cars, trucks, SUVs, EVs, and more. I'm Cindy Hahn. You've been listening to Maine Calling on Maine Public Radio.